Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. I'm not in Mira, Alberta. I'm sitting in my car uh, at one of my new favorite restaurants. No, it's not my restaurant. It's another one, but it's awesome. Because I wanted to talk to you folks and fill you in on some information that's really important. It's so important uh, that I'm pulled over on the side of the road on my way home from Calgary to talk to you about it. Now, I apologize for that. I plan to be home for this in my little makeshift studio in my office, uh, but the weather did not agree with me. Anyhow, <clears throat> none of that's important. You may have noticed that I haven't been doing very many lives lately. Uh, I'm really, really busy. I'm uh, pulling my what's left of my aging, thinning hair out, trying to figure out how to save my business after the, you know, the things that have happened over the last few years. Some have lots to do with the government, some don't. Uh, I'm busy and I haven't been doing very many lives because I've been focusing on other things that are important to me. But yesterday I got some news that absolutely infuriated me and I wanted to go live right away and share my feelings and tell everybody what I really thought about it. But I decided to wait and I've been waiting a lot lately. some of you have asked me, Chris, why aren't you talking about the four men who are still in jail in remand uh, that were in the Coots demonstration? They've been in jail for over 700 days. What's going on? Why aren't you talking about this? And the answer is because there are a lot of other people talking about it and advocating and trying to get public support to let people know what's going on and that we have a problem. That actually gave me a little bit of comfort because somebody was doing something. And I also understand that our courts move at the speed of molasses and sometimes in situations like this, there's collateral damage and people end up sitting in jail like this. But what is happening is absolutely wrong. It is disgusting. It is a travesty. And I cannot believe this is happening in this country. There are four men who have been accused of a crime. Accused. They're still innocent. They haven't had a trial. They've been sitting in jail, refused bail for over 700 days. And yesterday, Chris Carbert, who is one of these men, had a bail hearing. Uh, pardon me, not the hearing. The hearing was before Christmas. But the judge decided to wait until mid-January to deliver the, deliver the decision ensuring that Chris spent another Christmas without his family and children. He's already lost two family members while he's in jail, folks. Now, the issue here is not the guilt or innocence of these men, but the situation surrounding how the system is treating them. Yesterday, after months and months of trial and back and forth and applications, and oh, the lawyers are going on vacation, so we have to wait. Oh, the judge is going on vacation, so we have to wait. After months and tens of thousands of dollars, that judge sat in the courtroom for less than five minutes and said the exact same thing she said in the last decision for bail, left and denied this man bail. Now, regardless of what you think of what they're accused of, I want to remind you folks, there are dozens, probably hundreds of examples of situations where people are accused of a crime, they go to jail, they get bail, they continue their lives because they're still innocent, right? And then they go to trial and the, 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 the justice system does its thing. That's not happening for these men. And I've realized... The courts aren't helping. 
The process is killing these men and their families. Our politicians are not helping. They're not doing anything. And I've come to realize that there's a lot more going on behind the scenes with these four men than you might realize. Some of the events that have happened over the last almost two years after the Freedom Convoy that was in Ottawa, the most peaceful, beautiful, largest demonstration this country has ever seen, some of the events that happened after that have everything to do with these four men and what's happening to them right now. So, as many of you may know, there's been publication bans on this topic right from the beginning. And uh, I don't give a shit anymore because it's time people realized what's happening to Albertans, what's happening to Canadians, and it's time we start demanding that our politicians intervene in whatever capacity their role allows them to, to ensure that these things get fixed. The only way that's going to happen is if we start talking about it. And obviously, dancing around the subject and waiting for lawyers and judges and the justice system to do its thing in protecting our rights, that's not going to cut it. So we're going to do something a little bolder and uh, you know, probably get in trouble for it. Our guest that we're going to bring on tonight is most certainly going to face some consequences. Um, and we're going to let him come on and explain why. But first, I think uh, one of my other friends wants to come on and kind of help fill you in as to how we got here and why we're doing this. So there he is. Hey, everybody. Yes, Chris is stuck hey, in man. his car. Not stuck in his car. He actually pulled over. And you can probably tell I'm in Vegas. Chris sent me a message earlier today saying, uh, you know what, this is this is going to happen. Can we pull this thing together? And it was like, sure, what do we need to do? Because this is so important that Canadians and Albertans and and the families have some sort of say. Because this, I've, I've been down to the Lethbridge Courthouse, I don't know how many times, listening to, to uh, all the, the pretrial stuff uh, and, and, and the bail hearings. And I cannot believe that we can't even publicly talk about this. And, and anytime you try and bring up something like this, people, people don't know what the hell is going on in, the, in Alberta and in Canada. They, they don't even know that the Coots 4 is even a Coots 4. They don't even know what that is. We were talking with some people the other night here, and it was exactly the same thing. They, they've never heard of it. They didn't know what the situation was. And try and have that in a five-minute conversation to explain what bullshit is going on in alberta so it's time people knew absolutely it's time that people knew and and it really it's disgusting when i went down and especially for chris cardbert's um uh bail hearing whatever it was called the, the pre-bail hearing blah 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 in december and we really did think that number one the evidence was clear that he was not necessarily associated with them and and, and all that and I'm sure we'll, the guest will end up talking a little bit more about that. But the fact that the judge even had the balls, can I say balls? I can say oh, yeah. balls. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Even though it was a, a woman judge, doesn't matter. I'm not going to go there. But the fact that she delayed it to the point where we actually thought, you know what, maybe, maybe he'll get off just before Christmas and boom, no. And sure enough, it, uh, it ended up happening the other day, yesterday, yesterday. Wow. 15th. Yeah. So, Having said all that, I think it's time that we bring in our uh, special mystery guest, 
I don't think he's going to have the the face mask or the pixelated or the the changed audio because at this point we're all kind of sticking our necks out about what uh, getting this information out, and I think it's time that uh, people actually know the story. So with that, I am bringing on Mr. Mark. Hey, Marco. Good evening, folks. Doing great, considering. Considering. So, yeah, considering. Well, you know what? We're none of us are are in jail, so that's a that's a plus. Marco, before we get into this, uh, there's a lot of people out there who don't know who you are or why you have the the depth of knowledge you do around this situation. Uh, do you want to fill people in on? Well, maybe you don't want to, but do you want to kind of give people an idea of why you are aware of the things that you are and, and why you're speaking? Um, yeah, so the, um, I spent 18 days on the border. I was there from the beginning, mm -hmm. and I pretty much watched the last trucks roll out. Um, Where were you? So that, at the front. I guess that, that's exactly what we just discussed on the phone, didn't we, Chris? Yeah. At the front, mm -hmm. I I I um I played a role alongside many others, and um, uh, since then I've um I, I've I've been involved. Like I said, from day one, on everything to do with these four men. Um, there are others, obviously, before the courts as well, including myself. But that's not why we're here tonight. Mm -hmm. And um, it's uh, like I said, so. That, that's my involvement in the event, and we're not going to talk about the event uh, a lot other than um, what's what's already public. Okay. Um, or, or as I see fit, naturally, but I mean, there's mm -hmm. no point in, 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 in delving into that further. Um, but, uh, yeah, since then, um, since in the last 703 days, since February the 14th, uh, the 15th is when we left. That was a day and two days technically after some of the arrests. I have experienced um, and, and, and sat on the sidelines partially and been heavily involved with uh, two of the men, uh, but obviously very aware of the other two's of the other two their proceedings as well. but um, yeah, I've, I've seen an absolute travesty of justice and I, I was talking to Betty, Chris Carver's mom, this, this morning. I said, you know, why are we here now? Well, since last August, so six, seven months ago, we had been gearing for this this bill hearing. That's right. Yeah. You know, we, you know, so since last August, we had been looking and gearing toward and preparing for what ended up being a five-minute decision yesterday. And because of that, uh, a lot of the information that, that I'm that I'm privy to, that I've heard, that I know, uh, the frustrations, et cetera, et cetera. I've I've put to the side because well, we have this bill here. We're 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 gunning for this. This is an attempt through due process to essentially use the system uh, the way it's intended to be used and apply for bail and and mm -hmm. and and essentially apply for Chris Garbage freedom, which then would set precedence for the other three they they Absolutely. have they have to go through that themselves but they would essentially follow suit but again it's an independent process the, the them being co-accused only benefits the crown not not them never never benefits them so for the last six seven maybe eight months 
because people may ask why now why 703 days after this well because for the last quarter of that we've been focused on this bill here i have been i've been pushed I, there, there are days where i've been extremely frustrated where i wanted to say shit on twitter where i wanted to drop bombs and i didn't because what if i jeopardize this application yeah so i didn't but yesterday even though i wasn't very optimistic about it because i just learned not to do that with my knowledge on the legal the political just just the landscape in general there was hope there was hope on my side too i heard chris's judge catherine or sorry chris's lawyer chris's defense counsel she was phenomenal she did a phenomenal yeah. job i listened to the judge or sorry the crown and their their usual speaking points um and i just i thought there, there's chance here there's hope here but that roller coaster of hope for a man who's incarcerated in remand for 700 days is not it's, it's not healthy but it's needed anyways it all hit us yesterday and i've seen across from betty after lunch yesterday and um mocha independent journalist mocha was in beside me doing his thing and um, I, I didn't, I, 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 my heart, I didn't want to say anything. Alex said something, Pastor Art said something, Betty said, went on record. I, I was like, no, I'm not interested. Yeah. And I seen her and I seen, I seen a broken mother who knew, and I knew because I've been, I talked to Chris daily, who knew what her son was going through at that moment. And when I say going through that, at that moment, Betty did talk to her son after. Chris called me as well. I, I told him, I said, Chris, you got to talk to me. I know you're going to want to crawl into a hole for the next while. You got to stay talking to me. And, and, he, and, and, he, and he will. And I, I think I might have missed his call just. But I mean, um, I seen a mother who knew what her son was going through. And then I say, charges aside, because that's not, that's not, my role that's that's the role of a judge and jury these these charges let let this process run its course except the process isn't and that's where you know i was angry and it, it you know not a punch the wall kind of angry just an angry just an anger anger and i made a decision mentally that this isn't based on the information i know and we'll get to that it's it's way bigger than coots way bigger than last week way bigger than chris carver or the other three based on that information i know and i knew then that people who knew and who have the ability and the coonies i guess to some degree have to speak up have to stand up otherwise these four men may eventually get to trial or not or they run into the Jordan deadline and they make this application, which essentially stays the charges and waives all rights for them to sue the government and, and, and continues to mess up their life. And they're never vindicated. And the crown is never held accountable. That's, that's and the court of public, uh, public opinion finds them guilty. Finds them guilty because that that's already happened to some degree. Yeah. So I felt that, um, something had to happen and I've done some tweeting that's gone viral, thankfully, and there's there's other things I'm planning. I'm in talk with mainstream media on some stuff. 
and they're talking to their legal teams and such. But I sent Chris a message. I was like, hey, buddy, how you doing? I, I know Chris. I know Carrie. But, I mean, we've done, you know, lots of lots of discussions, lots of videos. And I was like, you know, I got to get everybody on board, everybody with a platform, everybody with a voice. Yeah. And um, honestly, 10 seconds later, Chris called me. And here we are. So that's a bit of the intro as to other than Chris's intro and Carrie, your your addition to that. That's that's why we're here. And um, without me leading the conversation um, and going down rabbit trails, I want to I want to there, there, there's there's two years of stuff. And 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 we got to stay. I want to focus on a few things that okay. and really pick it apart as to the corruption and what's actually happening and the reasons why this is happening and the fact that nobody can say anything about it because you can't say anything about the say about the say about the say if that makes any sense that's how that's how shrouded and veiled this is and it's time we blow the lid off this thing like like chris just said so that's where we're at well marco um what why is this situation different than other situations i mean we've had other people arrested and locked up over protesting. I was for a few days. Uh, Pastor Archer Pulowski, uh, there's more, a couple more pastors in Edmonton. Why is it different with these four guys? Because these initial arrests and the details around their arrests and, and the, the, the accusations, the charges, the evidence, the ITOs, the disclosure, which is all uh, post, post arrest, but what what triggered these arrests and the why these arrests, arrests had to happen was something on the other side of the country. And we had a situation, we had multiple situations um, during those, during January, Saturday, January the 29th yeah. to February the 15th. And then I believe Ottawa three or four days later, even um, multiple, but, other than I believe Emerson, Coots, and Ottawa, the others had been disbanded or or dismantled or gone home. You know, Ambassador, uh, Kingsgate, a couple others. They so, but Ottawa was becoming a very embarrassing situation for the Trudeau Liberals, mm -hmm. and they needed to deal with this. And the tool. To deal with this or the tools to deal with this were afforded them or would be afforded them through the emergencies act let me just interject marco there was one tool they tried to use they tried to get an injunction to get that right. protest uh dismantled but the yeah. judge actually ruled no this protest is lawful it's peaceful it can stay provided they become good neighbors and don't honk their horn so much, which happened. So they right. tried something else, but then that didn't work. So they had to move on to something. And what, what do you, what's your, uh, your hypothesis on what they moved on to? Yeah. So thanks for that. I, like I said, I wasn't in Ottawa, so I don't know all those details, mm -hmm. but essentially due to the, the very embarrassing situation across the country, but especially in Ottawa, uh, they needed the tools and they needed something a lot more serious to justify the implementation of the Emergencies Act and to brand all these protests as violent um, anar anar um, insurrectionists 
and that they were infiltrated by anarchists and extremists. So that's where the situation in Coots, Alberta came into play to underpin, prop up, and justify the implementation of the Emergencies Act. So um, th that, that happened, right? The Emergencies Act was implemented and the powers of that act were utilized uh, across the country to some degree, um, but especially in Ottawa in disbanding the, the uh, Freedom Convoy. We now fast forward 700 days. Mm -hmm. And we have currently still men incarcerated pre-trial in remand, which is not ideal. It's a, it's a short-term scenario, but they're incarcerated and things aren't happening the way they should. Defense lawyers are seeing applications. They're seeing the Crown behave, decisions being made and proceedings occurring in a manner that isn't standard, right? After yeah. a while, you, 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 if, you, if you're a professional in your occupation, which, which these are, uh, these, some of these past defense lawyers and current, you understand and you start to see how things happen. You know, different settings, different, different scenarios, different convictions, justices, et cetera. But there's a, there's a, there's a precedence and nothing's happening the way things could or should happen. And we wonder, we're frustrated, we wonder what's really going on. And here's here's what I want to share. The this isn't about four men. It is, but it isn't. This is way bigger than them. This is about the the situation in Coots, Alberta with the guns and the conspiracy that the RCMP and the DOJ and previous cabinet ministers in Trudeau's cabinet, uh, David Lamati, Justice Minister, Mark Messino, Emergency Minister, they they dream this up. And they ran with it after February the 15th. It evolved. Don't get me wrong. The Crown, the RCMP, it evolved. But they they had enough initially with guns, cops, conspiracy, and murder to implement and justify the Emergencies Act. Let's now, back up for just a moment, Marco. Just one minute. I want to remind people, the Liberal government was talking about using the Emergency Measures Act while people were still in transit to Ottawa, before anything had even happened. They were trying to find a reason to enact that piece of legislation to dismantle peaceful protest before the protest even got going. Correct. Yeah. They, 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 this, this is something they wanted to implement. Instead of, you know, going out and talking to the protest, protesters, they wanted to hammer down from day one. Yeah. Like so China. Like, like China. Yeah. So they were looking for reasons all along. And they found their reason pretty much across the country in Coots, Alberta. Now, back to where we were today and in the proceedings in the last, of the last year and a half. Yeah. We have bail getting denied. We have everything happening in a manner that does not 
uh, exemplified justice to, to any degree. We have cop killers, repeat offenders, you name yep. it, out on bail after two or three days. So this this has, you know, there, there's this there's this perspective and this viewpoint that um, it's not a necessarily a viewpoint. It's 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 way bigger than this. It is the fact that this um, this these these the cases and these charges for these men have to stand. The narrative that was created and the media was all over it because there was no publication ban at that time. Yeah. The narrative that was created in February, March of 2022 has to stand at all costs because if that falls apart, we have, if, if, if things are debunked in Alberta, in Lethbridge, in the courts, yeah. guns, conspiracy, you name it, if things start falling apart at the seams, then a lot more unravels across the country. We have a commission you know the 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 the, the um, commission that was in or that was uh, um, by Commissioner Rouleau, uh, the Emergencies Commission, that ruled that it was constitutional, it was justified. Sure, mistakes were made, communication things like that. In that report, in that final report that was that was issued uh, February seventeenth, twenty twenty two, February seventeenth last year, Coots Alberta is a main key factor for the implementation of the emergencies act and that answers connie's question yeah yeah yes correct yeah it's 100 percent connie did you ever say the emergency act was called due to the coots yeah yeah so now you testified out there right marco i did actually i did i was the only individual the only that's participant right. of the of the blockade of the protest that was subpoenaed to testify in Ottawa, and considering the role that Coots played into the implementation of the Emergencies Act, not not so not they didn't use the Emergencies Act on us. They used Coots to implement it because we we were gone. You know, we left the fifteenth, the fourteenth by by noon. The decision was made to leave twenty four hours later. You you didn't know we were there for eighteen days. So they let me get the, let me get this straight, Marco. You, they they used and it referenced in the report that they used the Coots situation as justification for the emergencies emergency emergencies act implementation, but most of the people testifying at that were involved in Ottawa, and you were the right. only protester who was involved in the Coots demonstration who testified in the commission. That's right. Yep. Interesting. So they didn't. They didn't want to talk about coots. They didn't want to. That that was the feeling I got. Even even my time there, it was rushed, and somebody said the commissioner was sleeping by the time I was done. I don't. I don't remember that. But um, the focus was on Ottawa because that's what the that's what the act was geared toward or or used for the the emergency. But the implementation of it in the report, coots is a big factor in that. So if you now um, essentially take away the reasons and the proof, because in the report, it mentions a lot of things that haven't been proven in court in relation to Coots and these, these four men and their charges. It's referenced in, in the report. It's stated as factual. Mm -hmm. So 
now it has to become factual. It has to stay. That narrative has to be written in stone. And 700 days, 703 days later, we're seeing this. We're seeing that no matter what, no, no matter, you know, in, in Trudeau's Canada with Trudeau's bail system, you know, Trudeau's bail reform that uh, of a couple of years ago, no matter what, these men are held. And a big reason, uh, or sorry, a big tool they're using to ensure this, this doesn't become a discussion at the dinner table or among media or anywhere is after or publication ban upon publication ban upon publication ban speaking of a so, publication ban one thing that they didn't ban was when the rcmp and the crown prosecutor gave the media in alberta and across canada pictures of evidence that in for all intents and purposes sentenced those men as guilty in the public's eyes before they ever saw a day in court you remember that we saw that in social media all over the news newspapers pictures of completely legal guns registered guns that the rcmp recovered from coots and that picture was the sentence for those men and the reason why a lot of the comments in here are oh well it's really serious what they were doing because they saw that picture absolutely never banned and these are the same mainstream media these are the same rcmp who actually now if you're watching rcmp listen closely the same rcmp who committed crimes yeah. at the coots demonstration for which they have already been punished for yeah yeah exactly so that's a bit of the reasoning as to um, as to what's happening here. Now, people will say, oh, that's a conspiracy. And without subpoenaing cabinet ministers, emails and phone calls and the RCMP and all of that, you know, they're, they're, it, it, it's, it's essentially a, um, a big discussion that I can't prove other than it's, it makes a lot of sense. And, but when you apply this situation to it, it starts to become quite factual. Uh, the situation of the Coots Four. So, which brings us to what what's happening in the courts with these four men, because what's happening there, underneath that ban, is essentially what people need to become aware of: mm -hmm. that there is a serious misuse of our judiciary, and that that the powers given to crown prosecutors and liberal appointed judges are being misused to hold four men pre-trial for you know what what will it be 800 days before it's before trial so wait a so, minute marco i i don't i don't buy for a minute that a judge would uh you know just be a bootlicker for the for justin trudeau or the federal government i mean just because this particular judge was appointed by the Liberal government and donated 26 times to the Liberal Party of Canada, I mean, that couldn't possibly mean anything to do with their bias. No, it's, it's, not, it's not at all. No, I, I agree with you, Chris. It means nothing. It, you know, the biggest, the biggest Liberal supporter in our judiciary, she's not biased at all. 
you know, she didn't show up for five minutes with a smile on her face and a chip on her shoulder. And, and you know, the poor man wasn't even in court and sense and, and essentially keep him there based on reasons, reasons she gave a year and a half ago. No, she didn't do that at all. That's, that's justice, right? Mm -hmm. Can we that wouldn't happen that? in Trudeau's Canada, would it? No, no. No, of course not. Exactly what happened. There's, and this is all, this is all proof. There's two bail judges, Justice Hardigan for Chris Lysak yeah. and Tony Olenek and Justice Kubik for Chris Carbert and Jerry Moran. Um, I haven't deep dived into LaBrenza's political views or Hardigan's political views, but it wouldn't shock me or surprise me if they were liberal-minded, liberal-supporting, possibly liberal-contributing or financially con contributing to the liberal movement while putting on their cloak and remaining extremely unbiased in these very highly politicized proceedings. I, got, I have to take a moment to just explain to folks why this is so serious. So in Canada, our remedy for actions that the government takes against the people that contravene our rights and freedoms, our remedy lies within the courts. Now, if our remedy lies within the courts, it is critically important, probably the most important aspect of this country, that our judges are unbiased and will uphold the Constitution, putting the rights of Canadians first. If we don't have that, we have no remedy. Now, in the United States, it's a little bit different. In the United States, uh, it's actually a constitutional right to form a well-armed militia to protect against government tyranny. It's a right, and the Americans view it as a responsibility. We don't have that here in Canada. So if, now I say if, uh, an individual or individuals are standing up for their rights and the rights of those around them in Canada, and they say something like, I will not back down. I am going to stand up for my rights and your rights as well. If they do that, they could potentially be charged with conspiracy to commit murder. That's how that works in this country. Now, the reason why this is so important, if we have judges who are appointed by the same government that's implementing laws, legislation, rules, mandates, restrictions, whatever, that, in, that, that infringe on our rights, how can we ever expect anybody to stand up for our rights except for us? Knowing that we can't do it ourselves in Canada, the idea is, and I've said this before, sure, we can stand up for our rights and stand against what the government's doing, but we have to act in quiet submission to the consequence of our actions. For example, I held a protest when a judge said, hey, you're not allowed to protest. I said, like hell, this is Canada. I'm going to protest. I had to be willing to submit to the consequences of my action. We, we have no provision to stand up and say, we are not backing down. So if our judges aren't going to be the fair and balancing mediator between the people and the government we we don't have rights we don't we don't we don't have them correct so speaking about i think we should dive into some of the proceedings and some of the um some of what's happened inside the courtroom which only 85 people if the courtroom is filled, can be uh, are um, 
privy to. And like I said, with a publication ban, media is essentially there's there's independent media there, but mainstream media barely reports on it other than you know, it's today and this happened and this one denied, not why or how or any any of yeah. the details around the proceedings. And I want to talk about uh, one particular application that was made by one of the defense lawyers. And I believe it was uncovered. Uh, the application is around uh, some serious information that was uncovered by this defense lawyer staff in the disclosure. Now, based on the information that's been been provided and that we've heard in court, and, and some people have shared this on Facebook and got actually got in trouble for it, but based on that on, on the on the information that I've heard and I was privy to and and, and all the proceedings, um, we we believe that and, and, and I'll quickly walk through I'll, I'll quickly walk through this application first before we really dive into the application and why this is such a travesty of justice. So the application is made based on information that is found um, in the disclosure. Now, this app, now, now the, the information that was found was resulted in a conflict for the lead Crown Prosecutor, Stephen Johnson. So this application, which was brought forward during pretrial, um, the days that this was discussed, they had to bring in a different Crown Prosecutor who was not affiliated with Coots during the actual event. And you got to remember that the, the prosecution service advises the RCMP, they advise the authorities on how to operate. For example, you know, when you're on the fly, you got to make, you know, an RCMP officer has to react instantaneously and he has to, he has to make split, you know, he has to make decisions on the spot. But on, on a, in events like the blockade and in Ottawa, decisions were made and, and they were planned out according to what is lawful. The RCMP also has to operate according to what's what's legal and lawful. That's what they're required to do. So on a lot of this, especially when you have complicated situations like charter, you know, where the charter gets involved in relation to protests and, and, and the rights of people to this scale and as public as this was, um, they would have had the the, the, the DOJ and, and Crown prosecutors in different provinces uh, literally on speed dial um, in touch with silver or silver or gold commanders that are on the ground coordinating operations, etc. as to what is legal and what you can't do. For example, we all heard of, of the RCMP disabling the excavators in Coots, Alberta. Mm -hmm. And um, this was something that I was very involved in. Um, the, I was aware that they were getting brought in and I was very aware that they were disabled. And I have this on my, I have an actual message on my phone from one of the CCMGs, uh, the Community Conflict Management Group. So those would have been the RCMP officers that would have interacted with uh protesters and they were the liaisons they reported to to their commanders and such so i spent a lot of time a lot of hours with them and at times their their um uh their commanding officers depending on the issue and i remember that when we withdrew those excavators from the near the highway 
um, based on the threat that to them, the threat that these uh, um, excavators uh, um, pose to them, right? Apparently there's some serious, other than the highway, there's some serious infrastructure running underneath the highway between those two lanes. Not that we knew that, not that we cared because it was just, they were just there to fly some flags. Yeah. The RCMP thought we were going to dig up, they, they thought we were going to dig up the highway or they were worried. So that risk, they did a risk assessment and they deemed they're too risky and those excavators needed to go. So based on that threat level, et cetera, we decided to withdraw those excavators over the hill. But there was a misunderstanding and an hour or two later, I got a message that these excavators weren't far enough, et cetera, et cetera. I was in some shoddy service, some shitty service. And while trying to coordinate this and get them, you know, you can't haul them out of there. These are big pieces of equipment, right? These trucks were timed out 13 hours. They couldn't just move. We couldn't just get them out of there. And they still posed a risk. So they decided to disable them. Knowing full well that these excavators were private pieces of equipment, on private property, etc. Knowing that there would be consequences, and I believe this is before the courts or has been has is already resolved, but they're going to pay. They're going to. They know this. RCP knows that that this was something they were going to have to pay for. But they made that decision based on the the risk assessment they did, the threat level that these excavators posed. So they broke the law in disabling these excavators. You understand? So this is in lead Sounds up like to. Exactly. They 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 committed yeah. mischief over five thousand because it was it was to the tune of twenty thirty thousand dollars when that was with a lot of donated labor and parts. Anyways, um, this is in lead up to the explanation that the RCMP has crown prosecutors, so technically lawyers, who advise them on operational decisions on in situations like this. So in this disclosure, this 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 um whoever this this in this staff member was that worked for one of the defense lawyers come, come upon this and this became an application but because this in in this application stephen johnson was a specific point of interest so it became a conflict so stephen johnson is the lead prosecutor on everything coots related arthur plowski myself my co-accused the, yeah. the, the four gentlemen and others so he is the lead prosecutor uh on a special prosecution team that that is overseeing everything coots related so they had to bring in a special prosecutor or another prosecutor and who they brought in was um uh, sorry just uh i believe it was james well boy i gotta really find this here uh james pitchard boy oh boy Thought I had this written down here. Okay, uh, James Pickard, specialized pro specialized prosecution, Desmond Edmonton. I think he's some. I think he's almost um, uh, second in line. He, he's, he's second in charge in the province of Alberta in relation to prosecutions. Um, now he 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 did his job. He he showed up for court in relation to this application. But this application was very secretive in nature due to how serious in nature it was. To the point that nobody in the public and themselves have no idea 
have, or have never seen the contents of this application and have never seen the contents of what was found in the disclosure. It, and, and this was accidentally sent to to the defense counsels. This was, uh, no, folks, this was accidental, unredacted disclosure that the defense received that contained some information that probably should have had a serious impact on this trial. Marco, was this was this the the infamous envelope that everyone's talking about? Correct, correct. This is the infamous crime fraud envelope, and and there's many different terms for it. Um, these proceedings happen, and it, essentially, it gets argued one way, the other way. But there's very little to to argue about, other than the fact. The only thing that was being argued for and against by the Crown and defense was whether the judge should open it. Mm -hmm. Not not the contents. We couldn't argue about the contents in open court because it was so sensitive in nature, like to the point where defense counsel staked their reputation on it. And they actually had to get approval from their not from the bar association, but from some 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 legal association that they answered to to actually move forward with this application. That's how serious in nature this was. Now, again, I don't have all these details, but this is so serious that leading up to this discussion later on, people, you know, you, this is something that the public should become aware of. So we're, we're, we're in court, arguments for, arguments against on opening the application. Arguments close, and the judge reserves his decision for two, three weeks. I don't have that full timeline, and that's not relevant at this point. That would have been, uh, the decision would have been made this fall, uh, last fall. Uh, 2022. The judge, and when I say judge, Justice uh, Lebrenz, decides to open the envelope. And that was a big win for the defense, for, for the public, for us. So, but then, then, then what, right? What, what happens once he opens that, yeah. that envelope? Justice goes on holidays. The the crown has X amount of days to challenge that decision. They don't. The contents of the envelope are sent to his chambers. All of this legal back and forth. All of that happens. And and all the is, while, all the while, the Coots boys are still in remand. All that's, the while, the Coots boys the are still in remand. That's the thing that about all of this going on is. No matter what happens, and and the, the judges and they're playing their chess game, it's hurting four men and their families and their friends, as well as everyone that knows them and is associated with them. Like no re no accountability whatsoever from any of these judges and anybody in the legal process. Exactly. So based on the seriousness of this uh, application, the secrecy around this application. Uh, naturally, there was also a publication ban that was argued before this application was put forward. And yes, yeah, the publication ban was implemented. Uh, so there's no there's no public uh, knowledge of this other than if unless other than you as an attendee in the courthouse, but you're essentially being told that this is this is something you can't talk about. Um, as a as public. What caused you to 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 think about this in a different perspective? I know there's something you shared with me that you weren't sure if it was something that you should speak about publicly. Um, you think it's appropriate to mention some of the 
talking points that you mentioned earlier? Because that kind of brings, sheds more light on this particular issue. Or is you that might have to too you might have to You might have to refresh my memory on that, Chris. Um, we had so there were some quotes that you have transcribed from a conversation oh. with some... Yeah, so well, that, we'll, we'll we'll get to that on 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 some of this, um, which brings me to the whole all of this, the reasons for all of this, right? The 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 position I've taken here and, and its possible ramifications. Um, anyways, I just want to really work my way through this application and the result of this application, which should be essentially uh, terrifying and highly infuriate, infuriating for all of us uh, listening in the public as a whole. So as a public and as a defense and as, as accused, they're expecting the judge to essentially schedule a date to bring this back to, uh, to the courtroom as to the contents of the envelope. And this is, this has been weeks leading into months back and forth. There's been a lot of money and a lot of time, a lot of rhetoric around this, a lot of hype, a lot of secrecy. The judge essentially uh, brings defense counsel. This was ne this never makes its way back to the the courtroom, other than a simple statement that this this would. And, and actually, I don't even know, but no, I don't believe it was brought back to the courtroom. I would have been there. This was brought back to defense counsels to the defense counsels that the contents of this envelope have been sealed. And that the reasons, even the fact that they're sealed, and that there there will be no further discussion on this, and the, and uh, that the crown themselves, um, or sorry, the de defense themselves, cannot talk about this, like to their to their defendants, nothing. Like this was all done in closed chambers, closed court. That's but it was all it. it was all disclosed, so everybody knows what's the contents of that envelope. The lawyers no. do. The, the defense the lawyers, law. the lawyers and the crown and the judge know what's in this envelope. And even, and the, that, defense, and even the defense lawyer that basically walked away. That was her um, application. Okay. Okay. The, the, yeah. Yeah. So this, this defense lawyer, uh, Tony Rolston was Tony Olenek's defense lawyer un, until a couple weeks ago. Yeah. Uh, this was her application. This was very big for her. Um, and it essentially got sealed and who knows what's all been discussed and who knows if there is more to her distancing herself from this case. Um, that's, you know, I've heard the discussion be, you know, what we've heard from Tony and discussion he had with a lawyer, but very quickly that relationship ended after uh, $600,000 of, of, of legal fees and she's gone. Um, but essentially like Betty Farber just said, the information in the envelope, Based, this is what the lawyers figured could have had a major impact on the case against the four men. And here's why. Here's why. I, I, I drew a scenario before. What we believe is in the envelope is the crown, Stephen Johnson, among others. Obviously, Stephen Johnson, because there was a conflict uh, with him and he could not actually uh, uh, be, be involved he in that. He couldn't participate. He couldn't participate in that application. We believe that in that application, in that information that was in the, that unredacted information that that accidentally ended up um, in the disclosure for 
defense counsel to to dig up and there's a lot of it so it's it's probably a miracle that they found it to start with which is it is their job to go through that but the, it's just been a mess it's been the disclosure story is disgusting it we haven't seen all of it and it's been uh, hundreds of gigabytes of disclosure and data drops the day before things like that just to create a mess run out run out the clock all of that anyways this unre unredacted information showed up and this application was drawn and built around this we believe that what's in this what ended up in this envelope or what what this this staff member um uncovered was the crown the the provincial crown prosecution service in conjunction with the federal and who knows where that all goes advising the alberta rcmp to commit crime during the coots blockade so when i go back to my excavator story it had to do with the fact that the crown advises the, the justice department the federal justice department advises law enforcement uh whether their operations are law legal and lawful because a lot of this stuff when you when you want to operate this way and you essentially charge uh, those who are then arrested it has to stand in court it's not just about well we can show up and we can make these arrests and we can solve the situation okay that's great but if if there is actual criminal behavior they have to opt the rcmp and, and authorities have to operate in a manner that will stand up in court and, and in this case chris, chris can talk about this because he had a scenario like that you know, on his proceedings where based on a technicality and the wrong person essentially making these decisions he got off and chris maybe you want to speak to that quickly yeah so that's where legal and lawful kind of get all jumbled up but i want to point something out remember folks what we were talking about in the beginning that our federal government justin trudeau and the liberal government and the NDP and some of the bloc, they wanted that protest in Ottawa to end. They needed justification to enact the Emergency Measures Act so that they could use unprecedented powers, including freezing your bank accounts, to put an end to the Canadians protesting government policy. They found justification, no matter how shaky the evidence was, they found justification to do that in coups. Now, Marco and I talked about this earlier. The this federal minister of justice had been having conversations with the prime minister about the Emergencies Act while the protesters were in transit. The, they received pictures of those guns that were completely legal guns they got those pictures in ottawa at what time marco with, with within the hour this, so this, like four in the morning this this warrant to ex these warrants to execute um the well, these search warrants uh were executed on the 13th so sunday night leading into monday morning the 14th and that picture of the cachet of weapons, right? With the Diagalon sticker. And when you really look at those weapons, um, without looking at them, you know, there's been some, uh, the, the, the crown is really focused on, on- um, uh, The scary ones. No, yeah, not even that, but I mean, they're focused on the clips 
the pins drilled out so that you can have more uh, bullets in a, in a in a in a clip. Well, that's that shit happens all over the place. You know, when you go coyote hunting, you want to have twenty five clips versus the legal eight or nine, right? Nobody wants. We're to not saying to do that. We're just pointing out that this is a common occurrence. This is a very common occurrence, but it's it's against the law. So, um, anyways, that's that's a rabbit that's a rabbit trail. That's that's legal. That's trial material. The picture of those guns and the initial comments and the conspiracy of, uh, of, of, of men looking to kill or conspiring to kill RCMP officers was used that morning. So by 2 o'clock, it would have been 6 o'clock in Ottawa. Um, it would have been, I believe, 6 or 7 o'clock. It was used that morning to to implement in the early hours of the morning to implement the emergencies act that was the final biggest piece of justification needed to implement the ema that was that was all we all we seen on february the 14th that was the news there was there was no other messaging anymore there was no peaceful protest this this and that it was guns guns coots coots murder cops you name it that was it cbc CTV, everybody was talking guns at the border, looking to kill RCMP officers. Well, that's and Coots was already crazy. dismantled. No, it wasn't, but we were, we dismantled very quickly after. So, but anyways, um, the reason why, leading back to this, this application that has now been sealed, that, that the defense definitely believes and the public accepts. Etc. Um, you know, oh, never mind. I'm going to say ignore that guy. Um, the defense definitely believed that this could impact this case big time, and the and the justice justice um, Lebrens decided to seal this envelope. But most you weren't even allowed to talk about this because of the publication man. So when I say publication ban so people can't say what's been said what's been said what like there are so many layers to this thing to prevent any news of proceedings any news on applications to become public why to maintain that narrative that was initially set before there was a publication ban which was used to implement the emergencies act let me wrap that up, Marco. There is uh, someone asking. So let, 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 here's the bombshell, folks. The federal government wanted to enact the Emergencies Act to uh, get rid of the protests so that they wouldn't have to talk to Canadians. They used these four men who were, uh, by the way, they were all arrested at areas other than Coots, as far as I know. They used these four men as justification for that. In doing so, it's believed that there were some uh, uh, inappropriate actions taken by the Crown Prosecutor and the RCMP. And if that information got out, and these four men weren't still in jail, weren't guilty in, in the court of public opinion, the entire argument, the entire justification for enacting the Emergency Measures Act would disappear. And it would turn out that the federal government had acted outside of their powers in freezing your bank accounts, in arresting the, in, in uh, making arrests of other people, 
in trampling people with horses in Ottawa, the entire narrative that Justin Trudeau and the Liberal government spun regarding the demonstrations would unravel and they would be left exposed as unlawful, tyrannical dictators who abused our laws and abused our citizens instead of talking to us. Exactly. That's what this well is all said. about. Yep, that's right. And that is why this this case or the, these proceedings and the charges of these four men are are propping up what happened in Ottawa and this government and their unlawful implementation of the Emergencies Act, which, based on this story, is deemed reasonable and justified, unless it comes to light that through the courts in Lethbridge, Alberta, that was all bogus. That would be fairly embarrassing for a federal Canadian government, regardless of their political position. So that's why this is a lot bigger than Coots, than these four men. We know their names, uh, Lethbridge, even Alberta. And that's also why I believe the publication bans are effective 100%, but it's also why I believe nobody wants to touch this. Nobody provincial, nobody in the UCP. There's concern, there's slight rumblings. You know, I, I have a lot of connections in, in, in the UCP. MLAs, cabinet ministers, and in person, there's a lot of concern, but publicly, nobody will speak to this. And there's, there's multiple reasons, but the biggest reason, I believe, has to do with the fact that this came down from Ottawa uh, in the weeks of the blockade leading up to February the 14th. Uh, do I have concrete proof of that? I do, actually. I have proof that I have I have essentially quotes of investigators out of the serious crimes department, and well, that's that's the the main uh, that's uh, Airdrie RCMP detachment is Central Command for Alberta, but there are there are investigators that are to this day shocked that these men are still held without bail and how proceedings have gone, have, have gone on. And I'm gonna read off uh, a couple quotes. This is, this is me and there, there'll be more on this coming, coming uh, in the coming days and, and weeks on this, but here's a few statements that I have that speak to this. And this is word for word transcribed. There was some political pressure from the federal government at some level. And uh, whether it was an actual conversation that say they were directed, I can't say. But I mean, there was a lot of pressure because let's face it, they had this thing going on in Ottawa at the same time. And they needed tools to be able to shut that down. Okay, next one. I, I'm just shocked that they are still in custody. Next one, number three. It just seems like this prosecutor there seems like he has some tremendous influence. Quote number four. You know, 20 years ago, like this wouldn't have happened. Like, you know, you wouldn't have the liberal system that you're fighting. It's just frustrating. The, the grammar and verbiage is not 
proper English. This is this is this is quote word for word. Uh, five. The crown should save face by offering a deal. Number six. I think there is disclosure issues. Now we know there's disclosure issues because they haven't disclosed everything yet. Seven hundred and three days after the arrests, and the crown has played horrendous games with disclosure and with with disclosure of these of, of these four men. So this is just a bit, just a just a small piece of how things have proceeded since February the fourth or fourteenth, twenty twenty two. But for these four men, it's been a living hell. And I, I say this, I don't say that word lightly. Um, for their families, it has been financially, physically, mentally damaging, to say the least. That's not the right word, but um, all to ensure that Justin Trudeau's liberals are protected from a unjustified, tyrannical decision to put the boot to Canadian citizens protesting unlawful and tyrannical COVID mandates and measures. How far would a liberal supporter go to protect the liberal government that they so admire? Would they just make donations? Would they sacrifice the lives of four men to prop up a government that acted so despicably as we saw during the protests how far would how far would those that justin trudeau so admires go to support his agenda you know they they could go all the way and the reason i say that is because maybe they were so heavily influenced by the media that they are absolutely 100% sure that those men are guilty right and if that's the case then there is no stopping them they will they will push it so marco i did want to ask a question because i'm not 100 percent sure on this either so we talked about the the jordan decision and the idea that if if you're in judge or in um in in basically remand or i guess in jail for 30 uh, 30 months and you haven't gone to trial basically you're kind of let go and free that's my understanding, but the question, no, that's not it. So maybe, maybe you want to elaborate a little bit on what you know about that then? So again, everything's based on applications. There's no, in our, in our legal system, there's no, oh, you hit this date and they just, you know, the sheriffs, sheriffs just automatically know they got to let you go. <laughs> so in that's theory, they, they could, no, could they be there indefinitely? Uh, everything, well, yeah, there could be. You know, if this application were made by the defense based on them hitting this 30-month uh, threshold, this deadline, it still has to go before the courts. There's still going to be an application, a physical application argued in public court, crowns there, et cetera, et cetera. And who knows at this point um, whether they would actually be granted, uh, whether that application is actually successful and they would actually be granted their, their freedom. Well, it, but it's, the it's not necessarily just their freedom. There, there's yeah. a lot of things that they waive by making that application successfully, like yeah. we mentioned earlier. Yeah. Well, the reason I brought that up is because 
in in Chris's case, in, in Chris Scott's case, there's so many Chris's here, but in Chris Scott's case, he was before the courts arguing that AHS, well, actually not even arguing, it was presented that AHS and the provincial government, the, uh, the RCMP, were all basically colluding together to shut down Chris's business and other businesses. And it was almost at that point where the, the floodgates would have opened with that information. And then we had uh, the, uh, uh, the ruling that happened on uh, July 31st that basically said, well, no, we, you know, it, it was supposed to be the government saying uh, stuff. And Dina Hinshaw was the one that actually uh, came out with the CMH orders and given kind of a checklist to the government. And the government said, yeah, this is it. And that was not the way it should have been done. So my question with that is, is it possible that at some point in the future, it will basically run out of time and, and in theory, they will be just let go, but only because of a, un, a kind of a, a conditional clause with the legal system and basically saying, well, you know what, we can't hold you any longer, but in the public eye, it still looks like you're guilty. Your lives are being ruined. You're financially ruined. And it's okay because our government thinks like we're here. Yeah. The short it. answer is definitely yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of people in so, here talking about how they want our government to intervene. Now, yes, the provincial government. I got to remind people of something. During the COVID era, we were hopping mad that the government wasn't respecting the separation of powers between the legislative, the judicial and the executive. So basically the RCMP were working with the government and AHS and those, and they were in partnership and they were trying to pummel people like me. Now, if you're asking the premier to intervene in something like this, you're asking a sitting member of the legislative branch of government to actively interfere with a matter that's before the executive branch of government, which is the, the crowd, the courts. And, you know, I, I'm unaware of any mechanism that any politician has to do this, except it would be very, very nice to start doing a little digging and find out what role the federal government played in trying to orchestrate a condition where they could strip away our rights and freedoms through the use of the Emergency Measures Act. Mm -hmm. That's something that our government could look into. Wouldn't there be yeah. some sort of a Freedom of Information Act for that? Or information? I would think so. Yeah. Problem yeah. is, when they send things, as Marco, I'm sure you've seen, uh, they got half the page blacked out with black Sharpie. That is true. So the only person, technically, that can in any way uh, investigate, ask questions, etc. in these proceedings would be our Attorney General. Now, in, in Canada and in the states uh, and in the, obviously the provinces, uh, the uh, Solicitor General, the Attorney, or sorry, the Attorney General the justice minister and the sorry what what what's the third hat they wear man solicitor general it's a, is it a, yeah it is it's the same individual it's a conflict and the um 
at the last UCP AGM, we actually voted in favor to separate those roles because that's right. What one person can only really properly without conflict represent one role. And in Europe, that is the case. And we see that actually in the States, we see that Democrat general attorneys are prosecuting their political opponents because they are politically connected. Uh, they are both general attorney, they're, they're democratic, they're, they're politicized. And these need to be positions that are as nonpartisan as possible. So in this case, we have the justice minister, but he's also general attorney. So as a general uh, or as attorney general, he has it's the, the role. His role is to he, he's he's in charge of prosecution services in the province of Alberta. He works with general prosecutors, et cetera, et cetera. And this is Mickey Amory. Mickey Amory does have the ability not to interfere pre-trial into um, proceedings of this into these proceedings, but he has to, but he has the ability to investigate allegations of abuse, uh, allegations, uh, a lot of things that have been happening in these proceedings. So to put this back federally, yes, provinces adhere to the federal criminal code, they adhere to um, federal bail, they adhere to many things, but justice is provincial. These, these, you know, and Leighton Gray, um, brought this to my attention a while ago. He says these are provincial proceedings. Sure, it's it's federal charges. It's, it's in federal court, like it's King's Bench, but the province has the authority. Now, obviously, they answer to um, Ottawa on some things, but not everything. We see that in in all aspects, right? Alberta is looking for their jurisdiction and their sovereignty in many aspects and I believe in taxation and injustices is also uh, key you know key positions of of, uh, of of where we need our sovereignty back but at this point what's got our politicians scared what has our current government scared is what has happened last year there was an event that almost cost us the election and it's got them gun shy to say the least that's that's i'll leave it at that but it's not an excuse to allow this to happen in our backyard in our province because it's a travesty of justice now again um it cannot be interference but there should be awareness and essentially there's only one thing that can trigger this and that's public pressure and public outcry and that's what this is geared toward. And I hope that everybody realizes they play a role in this, not just to watch and cry foul and put some comments in, 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 in the sidebar. No, this is about contact your MLAs, contact everybody about the injustice that is happening in our province. Not, not, not an action item as to drop a charge or things like that. That's, we, we, we can't do that. Uh, that process has started. But there's a lot of things that can be done and that should be done provincially and federally, obviously. But it starts with awareness. It's, it starts with people becoming aware of what's actually happening. And the biggest roadblock to that has been this publication ban, the multiple publication publication bans. So, so uh, at one point last year sometime, 
I had a conversation with, with the premier and I was pretty upset about some things that I was witnessing occurring around me and hadn't changed. And her response left me really thinking about our province and our country. Her response was, the only way we can fix that is if we change the law. And I'm going to change the law because it needs to be fixed. So the reality is, there's people, for the people in this stream that are wanting solutions, you want a remedy, here it is, folks. You're not going to like it. The only way we fix these things in this country is by changing laws or making laws. And it is a long process. Well, it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that long, but it's a pretty long process. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, we don't have a governor in Alberta that can just say, we don't have a governor. It's a pretty long process. Whoops, where's that from? Is I don't know. That's me. Don't anyway, yeah. the, the, the remedy is we got to change some laws. And the sad reality of this is uh, while we're doing that, there's going to be four men in jail. There's going to be people who are quietly submitting to the consequences of this process. And it sucks. It really sucks. But the alternative is worse right the alternative to being using the system and using our voices to change things for the better is anarchy and that's not good there's a lot of people that want to go there because they're, you're frustrated but at the same time a lot of those people have never got involved in any of these processes we're going to change some laws we're going to fix some things and i want to go even further and i want to get this province out from under the boot of a a federal government that can do these things to us. This should not be allowed. Our justice, our our system of justice and our, our legal system should be completely reformed so these things can't happen. And we're not going to do it by just, you know, yelling at politicians. We have to change some laws. We have to get out from under the boot of the federal government. And if you need any more justification as to why that's the truth, I mean, you you need to look no further than these four men that are sitting in jail. And, and a federal government that refuses to listen to its own citizens and instead abuses powers that we have afforded them through laws in order to silence us. And really, uh, I know there's going to be a lot of people mad about that, but if you have a better idea, please, I'm all ears. But for the time being, you know, we, we've told you what's going on with these guys in, in Coots. We've explained to you why it's so important that they stay in jail what you know when you're looking at it from justin trudeau's perspective otherwise the whole house of cards comes down yeah and we can focus we can we can talk about a lot of things that have us frustrated locally provincially obviously federally i think we're all we're all gonna agree on that um but we have to separate the issues we have to separate the issues and we have to make we have to realize that this government is in power for the next three and a half years well we're pushing pushing three years now in 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 may um marco can half, i three and a half years. on that note let me just interrupt you for a second because i do that lots you know what our government right now is really really worried about and and looking to um uh fix the incoming who pandemic treaty mm -hmm. part of that piece of legislation like that's not even legislation it's global regulation 
that we're about to adopt in this country, it basically says that all, it's kind of like UNDRIP in a way. It says all of our laws, rules, and regulations must adhere to what's outlined in the WHO pandemic treaty. So, you know, if we, we have a problem with how our laws are right now and how, how court is uh, uh, treating people who protest unjust laws, those rights disappear if we have to be in line with what the pandemic treaty wants us to do. And I can tell you uh, with, with, with confidence, after speaking to some people close to the inner circle of government, that they're very, very concerned about that incoming treaty. If you don't know what it is, folks, have a read. It's way more terrifying than, uh, than you would believe. We're actually doing a live on that tomorrow night uh, and, uh, as an Alberta Prosperity Project. We're talking about the the who and the what, which is basically the World Health uh, um, Agreement and the uh, the World Health Organization, and what that leads to in, with Canadians and and you know we we particularly look at it from Albertans, but it's basically Albertans, Canadians, and the world. I guess is what we're looking at. And that's with uh, James Rogowski, and that's tomorrow night at seven o'clock. Uh, and you can also view it here. So we'll go in a little bit more depth into that too. And Marco, do you have? Do you want to kind of sum up what this kind of this bombshell is, and uh, and and why you're why you're speaking out like this? And then we're gonna we're gonna sign off, and hopefully uh, we can all have time to go and join our our friend Leighton Gray on X. He's doing a live right now as well. Right. Well, essentially, we have a uh, prosecution of four men who were arrested and charged 703 days ago. And these men have been denied bail. And even though much has come to light on the actual um, events, arrests, narrative initially set in place that can't like you know much has come to light that contradict the events the arrests and the narrative that was said at the time of the arrest or during that time in the event that that spurned that that spawned um or the arrest spawned from that event nothing matters and the reason for that is because this prosecution has to succeed because it had a, it has already been writ, written into a final report off, which has been commissioned by our prime minister, which is this, and this commission is built into law. When the Emergencies Act is implemented, it is a automatic requirement that there be a commission of the event by the people essentially ensure that, that that the emergency act was justified and that there was proper process followed etc that there wasn't complete um misuse of the of the act so this has all this has already happened in ottawa the emergencies act was justified it was used it ended right the emergencies act ended it was it, was, it, it gave them unprecedented powers um it used to be called the war measures act and was that ever used i don't believe it was anyways we're not gonna go into that it has not been used in decades it's used it was ended a commission determined it was justified and lawful for the reasons 
that were brought forward in in the report and one of the biggest reasons was based on the events that happened in Coote, Alberta, even though those events had not gone through the courts yet. They, they were allegations. So when we go back to what is deemed righteous and holy in our Canadian judiciary, there's one thing, innocent, innocence until proven guilty. Mm -hmm. So that was thrown out as a result of this and how this has happened. So we have proceedings in Lethbridge, Alberta, with four blue collar men, blue collar workers, people we know, and we've come to, uh, I've come to know, and to some degree, they're, they're brothers, and I have many brothers. But I feel that the decisions have already been made in Ottawa, and they will, at all costs, ensure that those decisions are followed and and put into stone in Lethbridge, Alberta to to prevent the legs from the everything that's happened in this um, public what what's the term here this uh, this movement uh, across the country this um, uh, public, it doesn't matter. The, the, the freedom convoy, the, the, the Coots convoy, or the Coots blockade, all of that, to ensure that narrative stays the same as being unlawful, illegal, and full of anarchists and extremists. To maintain that narrative, these men need to be charged as conspiring to commit cops. If that falls apart, there's a domino effect that works its way back to Ottawa and that ends up at, um, I imagine Justin Trudeau's cabinet table and the ramifications of that happening here in Lethbridge would be both national, uh, but they would be extremely embarrassing for all levels yes. of government and that's essentially what this is that's that's a that's a big that's bigger than i could even fathom but that's what's happening here and that's why we have judges which a lot of judges are federally appointed they've been in power for a long time or they're they're liberal they're appointed by liberals but that's why things are happening that's why decisions are made and announced in 5 minutes to deny a man his freedom not not to drop the charges to deny his rights his, his his the rights he's given under the charter being innocent before conviction mm -hmm. all in, in a matter of five minutes so yeah there's a lot <laughs> i just see a comment mark about so much going through his mind there's a lot and quite often i i can't get it straight um but i uh, I, I i've been involved um there's been a lot of you know there's characters and egos and you name it i i, I put i played my role in that probably i probably guilty to some extent in relation to these proceedings but my wish is that regardless of what people think about others do what you need to do and spread the word um I laugh a bit because there's some people that say that
well, you're gonna they're, they're gonna come for you. They might, they might, and then they probably will. But I just, you know, who else, right? Like, I was at the commission. I've been involved. I was at the front at Coots. I've been in conversations in sheriff buses with, with, with. I mean, Silver Command, Gold Command, where I got threatened, where I got this, where I got that, and I've experienced that. And and I'm charged. They want to put me away for five to ten years. Maybe they'll succeed. That doesn't change what's right. That doesn't. Mm -hmm. Yes, it scares me. I, I there's nothing wrong with being scared, but I'm not not to the point that I won't do what what's right. And I am imperfect. I make mistakes. Shit, I got a lot of stuff going on that. People say, oh, look at this guy. I'm I'm human. But I mean, this is what's right. We have those who are elected to represent us and then those who are unelected to execute justice. And they are manipulating to keep to they are they are manipulating and scheming to keep innocent men to some degree. And I say to some degree, it's not for me to decide. I'm not the judge, I'm not the jury. To keep this from being exposed the truth needs to come out and then screw repercussions because if i if i don't speak if chris doesn't speak if carrie doesn't speak and all of you guys listening if we don't speak then we are complicit in the failure of our democracy and when we say democracy you know maybe i prefer a it doesn't matter. I'm not going to get into politics, but we are complicit. So we are. We, we have a. I have a. We have a moral responsibility to speak up, and if that costs us, well, too bad. It's going to cost us a lot more if we don't, and our kids. By that time, if there's anything left to salvage. So, yeah. Anyways, I agree 100%, Marco. It was so pointed out in the comments. Do you know who the only other prime minister? to use that piece of legislation to control the citizens was yeah buddy's dad, dad. yeah yeah the apple didn't yeah. Far, fall, fall far from the tree on that one huh true story so the question was what what do you want the viewers to do other you know you share 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 as much as possible you can strike up conversations so that people at least know what coots for is all about exactly and, be and bold be and bold. it's not going to be—it's not going to be a five-minute uh, conversation with people at a cocktail party. But maybe you can at least start that conversation, and then if they want to know more, they can definitely find out. There's a lot of information. I know Jason Levine's been covering the story. We've been—we've been covering it. I know uh, there's you know, a lot of people. There's been there's uh, been yep. from from yep. Margaret, you know, Granny, people know yeah, everybody. Absolutely. You know, lately, um, Freedom George. They, all these people, and I don't know half these people, and then there may be this and that. I don't care. I don't yeah. care. This is about, I've always, I've governed myself based on what I feel is right for the four men, even though I really interact predominantly with two of them. I've never met, I've never met the other, the, I never met one of the four. So yeah. it doesn't matter to me. It's, they're all in this, and they have different stories and different situations and different circumstances. But I mean, they're in this, and what's personal for this what what makes it so personal for me is this had to do with obviously something i was very involved in but i'm facing this you know yesterday and i'm not here to throw out names but yesterday i was after court i was just messaging back and forth with tamara leach and we were talking about her proceedings 
and then she was kind of questioning me on on ours ours hasn't even started yeah. ours hasn't even started it won't start for another four or five months it could be three years before we're out of this mess and that doesn't scare me but they're they, they're looking to make examples out of us and if they succeed if they succeed that doesn't change history because history's history's you know it happens but yeah. what it will prevent what it will be successful in doing is the next time we need men and women to stand up they will they won't have to look far to find guys like chris what he's gone through tamara leach myself and others and say oh no i don't want to do that because that's what they'll do to you because that'll scare people and that is tyranny that is how you suppress people's rights by making example out of others right and if we don't unite it as 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 many stand up they will be successful because i can only take so many beatings a person can only take so many beatings. and i'm one person if if they come for me tomorrow and nobody stands up for me i'm gone i'm gonna be gone and i mean mm -hmm. they'll still you know so anyways yeah yeah so people watching should get a hold of their MLAs. It, again, we've we've said that so many times. Get a hold of your MLA, send the message, blah, blah, blah. But it Spread does- word, Awareness, social it media, you need fall, It falls on deaf ears when it gets to the MLAs. And is there any way, maybe we actually have to go to their MLA offices and bang on the door because if you send an email or you make a phone call, yeah, it's okay, it's, it's you again. Okay, well, here you, number six to the day. I don't think we need to make some more noise than, than what is actually happening. So there are some, there is like, I'm part of a group and Chris might know a bit of this, that we're, we're going to, we're doing a real big publicity campaign. Uh, we're printing 25,000 brochures with a lot of information. We're, is that uh, what we're right? having, yeah, we're having, yeah, that's grassroots coalition. We're having speakers, uh, piggyback APP events, uh, all of this. And, we're not there's no real action item other than awareness because at this point carrie people just don't know people just don't know so we True. want people to know first we want people to get angry we want people to feel the injustice of what's happening people will do the right thing i have faith that once i have faith in the majority of society still becoming angry over what's unjust mm -hmm. I, I still have that i still believe that but what you don't know you can't be angry about right so that's what this is about this is about making people you know and if there is actually if there is one action item out of this and you guys may not agree but if you're going to tucker carlson event make some noise try to get try to get tucker to bring up this situation try that's to get him to bring up the, the, that we have political prisoners in alberta yeah. in the Marco, texas of the north i happen to have about 20 tickets left for row five maybe a few in row four i wonder what it'd be like if a bunch of people showed up wearing uh save the coots four shirts in row four or jumpsuits or jumpsuits that would be noticeable maybe we should coordinate something like that well, i know it's in edmonton but i mean um it's uh at this point i'm open to anything i'm open to any because We've hit a dead end to some degree. I have a, I have a, I have a man who's I, Chris, Chris Carver thinks he's going to stay in jail for the rest of his life. And at this point, 
I don't know. If they're successful, he will. That is what the Crown said. The closing arguments of, of one of the, the prosecutors was, we are very confident that this man will spend life in prison. That is a quote. That is word for word. Happened three weeks ago. So take that to the bank. That's what they're gunning for. Chris, can we uh, maybe make, if, if you've got row in five or row four and five, and maybe if it makes sense, maybe we can uh, have pieces of paper or give those to the people. Maybe one says an S on it and the next one says A and one might say B and then the next one would be E. Do I need to continue? I don't, know, I don't know what you're trying to spell. You're got to speak English here. Save the coots for that would be enough that Tucker would look out and go, What's this save the coots for? Right, we we got to try, right? We got to try. Like, people, think, you know, yeah. it could be an unscripted question Hey, what's this going on? And yeah, you know, that's where it starts. Oh, look, we have a judge in the comments. Do we? Interesting. Yeah. Apparently, he's already found out that uh, everybody's guilty. So it's all over. Go home, folks. Idiot. Sorry. Anyways, I'm really curious what Lane Gray is up to, and I'm pretty sure he would love to have some of us jump in and, and uh, share some of this. But um, this is just the beginning. Well, we missed. Uh, I, unfortunately, I, we missed his live. His live. It, it's over in 20 minutes. But you know what? Oh. Why don't we wrap this up and uh, folks head over to X, find Layton Gray, and uh, comment, and maybe he'll have something to say as well. So yeah, share this far and wide in all your networks. Uh, share it to people you don't know, and keep on sharing because the bombs are going to keep on dropping. And feel free to chop little snippets out of important information Absolutely. and put it on TikTok. Do whatever you got to do. You can use the, the video as you please. Whatever you can do to spread the word. Yeah. A lot of times people don't want to sit through an hour and 38 minutes and 36 seconds. And uh, if you can find out those little, you know, quick little 30 second gems or maybe even just a statement, maybe Marco saying something, do that, please get this out. We need people to be talking about this. And they should have been talking about it like 700 days ago. And they were, but certainly not to the extent. I mean, I, on it, I'll be, I'm kind of guilty of that. I didn't really, when I knew that the, the there were a bunch of people arrested in coots, you know, after a week or two, you just assumed they were let go and life was back to normal because didn't, didn't everything open back up again after the, the convoy in March? So we just assumed that that happened. And if it wasn't really for Granny and uh, and getting that uh, that word out, we would all be in the blank. So, I, I really want our uh, our friends to the south to know that all those pictures they saw of our RCMP trampling people and you know shooting reporters with uh, uh, tear gas grenades or whatever, all those horrible horrible pictures we saw that we should have never seen in Canada. They're all because our federal government used these four men and some maybe stupid big talk and some pictures yeah. to do it. Yeah, you're right. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Okay. Thanks a lot, guys. Thanks, Chris, right. for allowing me to use your platform and for, you know, last organizing this last minute, Carrie. Um, you know, it probably wasn't your plan for this evening. No, so I'm, uh, that, I'm, I'm still heading out over there. <laughs> so, I believe it. I believe it. I would be too. So, okay. Yeah, thanks, Marco. I know you're, uh, you know, you're probably going to catch some flack for this, but.
I certainly appreciate what you're doing. And we and we certainly got your back. So anything that uh, we can possibly do or any of the, the viewership can do, just let us know. Well, shit goes south. Fire up those tractors. Yeah, sounds good. Okay. Off to Germany. Yeah. <laughs> See you That's guys. a different story. Well, okay. Good night then, guys. Okay. Good night, everybody.